It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. And welcome, one and all, to the Sonic Society, the world's greatest and largest and loudest showcase and most demonic, apparently, according to the number, <laughs> of modern audio drama. I'm your host, Jack Ward, here with my more popular and talented doppelganger, David Alt. Yes, good morning and welcome, everyone. Isn't it a shame we don't have a transcontinental terror for, for this particular episode? Oh, it would have been perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is now December. This week, we welcome it and complete The Stranger Among Us from M.P. Johnson and Daniel P. Ramirez, and go visiting an old friend with John Loganbau and Catherine Grant-Sutty's Brass from Battleground Productions with episode 30, Summits and Revelations, the season three finale. So if you haven't caught up as we have, make sure you do before you have a listen. But for the rest of us, today's features all begin right here and now on the Sonic Society. We now return to The Stranger Among Us. Dick, why was Stephen Miller here to visit? He was trying to extort me with doctored pictures. Do not say a word that he came to the house. Whatever you say, Dick. Dick, they found a body in the woods. Stephen Miller. <laughs> Calm down. Calm down. One at a time. Well, Tell me what happened. There, there was a body in the woods and... One at a time. Mr. Potter? Well, they... That is to say, some joggers found a body in the woods. It was Stephen Miller, the president's, uh, what have you. He came to town two days ago asking about you. I assure you I know nothing about any Stephen Miller. Of course, like you, I've seen him on television, but... Then why was he coming to visit you, Spencer? I haven't the foggiest idea, Miss... Wilson. Who could have done this, Dick? Who? Yeah, I would have gotten... I mean, come on. Certainly not Dick. He was here working on the clock tower nonstop. Classroom, dinner, clock tower, every day. That's quite enough, Mary. Now, I'm sure there's a perfectly logical explanation. Very logical. You knew each other. He was coming to visit you. We found your phone number in his luggage, and you bear a striking resemblance to Richard. Or perhaps this outside agitator, this agent provocateur, has come here to stir up trouble against our town and against me, its humble citizen. Mr. Potter, let me ask you something. When did Ms. Wilson arrive here? Why, two days ago, the very same day as Mr. Miller. <gasps> and, Mr. Potter, who asked you to go through Mr. Miller's luggage? Why, Fred, uh, Ms. Wilson. Precisely, <gasps> precisely. And gentle townsfolk, tell me who more than Ms. Wilson, an investigator for the 
Southern Poverty Law Center, a member of the PC police, a liberal so tolerant that she has become intolerant to intolerant racists. Who would be likely to kill Stephen Miller, the poster boy for the resurgence of white nationalism, who single-handedly set back the cause of inclusivity and progress on racial justice? Who amongst us would be most likely to want to see that man dead? Would it be me? A simple scholar who has never met the man? Or the woman that arrived the same day and wanted to see him erased from public life? Yeah, yeah anyway. Yeah. 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 crazy. Did anyone see the car Ms. Wilson drove to our town? The purple Prius? The Black Lives Matter sticker on the back? All, All lives matter. matter. All lives matter. So, as I see it, we have motive. She hates those she accuses of hatred. Yeah. Stop. This is absurd. How do you not see this? This is Richard Spencer, alt-right Nazi, Charlottesville planner. Now, wait a minute, Miss Wilson. This is Dick Spencer, beloved schoolteacher, patriot, fixing a revolutionary war clock. He's not even trying to hide it. He knew he'd get away with blending into Lily White, Connecticut. He didn't even change his name. Why would Stephen Miller, the architect of the president's race-baiting agenda, leave D.C. for the first time in three years to come to this town in the sticks? Hey, we love uh, really really It's because yeah. Miller was after Dick. Blackmail! Ah! Now, Mary, listen, everyone. She's clearly worked up. So you're saying he was here to see you? Of course not. Mary is not herself. This was just a ploy to cast blame. I say we know the real culprit, and we should lock her up. Lock her up! Lock, lock her, up. her up! Lock her up! Hey! Lock her up! Someone! Lock her up! Help! Lock her up! Oh, I'm so sorry, Dickie. I didn't mean to. I was afraid, afraid they'd take you out of here. How could she think you were a Nazi? That was a very foolish thing you did, Mary. And it will have dire consequences for us. I, 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 uh... I know, Mary. It was an honest mistake. I do so love you. I adore you. But it isn't safe for us here. Wilson is dangerous, and she'll repeat these lies to the media, and you know who runs that racket. North Haven can protect us for only so long. She'll be back with her cronies. She and those social justice warriors will hound us. We'll never be safe. Darling? Yes, Dick. Darling, will you stay with me? Will you follow me wherever we have to go? Of course I will, Dick. I don't deserve a woman like you. Ms. Whitehouse? Don't you mean Mrs. Spencer? I love you, Mary. I love you, Dickie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now listen to me, Mary. Listen to me very closely. Run home and collect our things. Bags, passport, money. There is a black briefcase in the back of my closet. 
be sure to bring that as well. Yes, Dickie. Mary, I mean it. Black briefcase. I've got it, Dick. Bring all that back to me in exactly 30 minutes. I will start at the clock. When it rings, you need to be here. Don't be late. Our future depends on it. I sure won't. That was a costly mistake, Mary. You can't unring that bell. We could have escaped together, moved to a place that understands me, understands us, somewhere more pure, Finland or Siberia. We could have risen so high together, Ms. Whitehouse. But now you must fall so that I can soar. Just a few more cuts and this ladder will become your grave. These rubes won't catch on. At least not until I'm on a flight to Argentina. Oh, Mary, I do love you so. It was tragic for you. Fall in love with a misunderstood patriot, a maligned philosopher. Uh, a fucking pathetic, beta cuck, no talent, mediocre, pasty ass, hackneyed, Hitler youth haircut wearing, shit eating, supremacy spewing, sloppy writer, fucking Nazi. That's what you are. Wilson, welcome back. Good luck proving any of that. I have this town wrapped around my brilliant white pinky. Your time is up. Time? <laughs> what do you know about time? Time, Ms. Wilson, is always on our side. Do you think the American people will reckon with their past this time? Of course they won't. They'll eat up whatever slop makes them feel like racism was a relic of the bad old days. They've had a black president. That has assuaged their guilt, made them feel enlightened. They are children, Ms. Wilson. Sticky-handed children at the carnival playing whack-a-mole. Every time a new incident comes up, sure, they'll beat it back. They'll beat it back down with their awkward foam clubs tethered as they are to the machine, the very system that produced the anxiety in the first place. They'll breathe a sigh of relief, take a sip from their big gulp, and move on to the next outrage. Which Kardashian will post the next sex tape what member of the Avengers they are. They'll always look for people like me to make them feel comfortable in their skin. Sure, they'll love you for a time, but then they'll hate you for holding up the mirror. Baseball isn't the national pastime, Ms. Wilson. Forgetting is. Just look. They'll make a movie about Jackie Robinson and then throw Kaepernick out of the league. 
They'll pat themselves on the back for quoting Martin Luther King, but bristle at the thought of being discomfited for even a second, worrying that their white skin might have afforded them any bit of a leg up. I don't have to defeat you, Wilson. I just have to wait. I have to wait for time to ground them down until they find a new scapegoat. You've lost, Wilson, because you can't keep up. We've spent years eroding public faith, creating false equivalence between what you do and what we do. Nobody can make judgments anymore. Want to hear something wild? Something that'll just blow your little snowflake mind? When this clock bell rings again, they'll all trust that it's 10 p.m. They won't look at their watches. They won't check their phones. They'll just know that Dickie knows best. And even if they do, they won't believe what they see. Not if I tell them 9.52 is 10 p.m. It's... Uh, people are smarter than... I you can't... tire of this tete-a-tete, Wilson. So unless you intend to do something about your ugly accusations, I would ask that you please leave me to my work. I have an escape to plan. Not this time, Spencer. Freeze! Oh, the widow Whiptart suddenly loves her Second Amendment whites. Although your scowl makes me a frightful bit worried that you might actually know how to use that thing. Too bad you're down there and I'm all the way up here. Pity. Goodbye, Wilson. You were a worthier adversary than I gave you credit for. <laughs> Close! Close, Mrs. Wilson, but no cigar. You won't get away, Spencer. My dear, I don't intend to get away yet. I'm coming up there. Oh dear, Miss Wilson. That booby trap was for a different boob. But it'll do the trick. I give you two. One minute before that falls to the floor. Wilson, could you lend me a hand? <laughs> oh, how silly of me. I forgot you haven't one to lend at the moment. Carry on. Dick, oh, Dick. I'm sorry I'm late. Dick, what's going on? Oh, nothing much, Mary. Ms. Wilson and I had a disagreement about this silly notion she has that I'm a Nazi and, well, like a typical liberal, she couldn't handle her emotions. And would you believe it, she took a shot at me. Mwah! Ms. Whitehouse, I did take a shot because your fiancé is a very dangerous man. He has you all fooled. Honey, who do you trust here? This carpetbagger or your dickie? You, of course. There aren't Nazis anymore. 
Precisely, Mary. Oh, don't get lost in semantics, Mrs. Whitehouse. He's a white supremacist. Loving your own race doesn't make you a supremacist. Precisely, honey. dear. Whites brought you science, civilization, the arts, technology, and America. We should be proud! Oh, Mary, you have to listen to me. I can't hold on much longer. <sighs> Mary, pick it up. Please. Do us a favor, darling. And dispatch Ms. Wilson here. <gasps> Ms. Wilson, I don't mean anything personally, but you are in the way of Dickie and me, and that cannot happen. Mary, wait. Wait, Mary, wait. Wait! Who do you think the broken letter was for? What? I mean, Dick didn't know I was coming. So who did he saw the ladder in half for? This was supposed to be you, Mary. Don't believe her, Mary. This is the way that liberals interfere with traditional couples. They'll try to turn us against one another. If he knew you were coming back here to meet him, why did he saw the ladder? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Don't listen to her. Mary, use your head. Mary, please. Mary. Ah! Ouch! You ignorant child! You impudent do-gooder! We were so close. <laughs> but you ruined it with your loose lips! <laughs> well, you both forget this town laps up my dribble and calls it Moxie. Now listen, as I go play them like a fiddle. Dick, what's all the commotion? We heard the bell and some folks thought they heard gunshots. Nothing to worry about, old chum. A crazed Miss Wilson shot me. But don't worry about me, old boy. This is checkmate. I'm glad you were all here. I would love to put your minds aright and your hearts at ease once and for all. I am Dick Spencer, historian and cultural warrior. I believe that all cultures have merits, and I'm proud of my culture. The beloved Constitution grants me the right to express my opinions. And my opinion is that PC culture is destroying the bedrock of American exceptionalism. I say America is the best country in the world. She wants us to apologize for our greatness. Give a hand up to inferiors. I say we celebrate our achievements and grant them the very few that they've managed. This one's for Charlottesville. This one's for Breitbart. And this one's from me. Oh, and Dickie's up again. He has her in a headlock. He has her in a half Nelson. A three quarters Nelson. A full Nelson. He has her dead to rights. Now it seems the tide has turned. And Dickie is about to knock her over the edge of the clock. It appears I have the upper hand again, Miss Wilson. Potter! Call the constable. Bring him here now. This raving lunatic Pinko is... And that, my friends, was Spencer's demise. Run through by the sabers of his beloved founding fathers. A not-so-subtle rebuke for invoking their name for a rotten cause. 
So we tracked down Spencer, and we got Miller too. Two disgusting birds with one stone. Or, as my vegan friends say, we fed two birds with one seed. It still took a little convincing, but the town could no longer deny that Spencer was Richard Wagner Spencer, Nazi stooge. That wasn't it for the happy endings. Mary Whitehouse and I fell in love. We were married soon afterward at North Haven's first ever same-sex wedding. Mr. Potter officiated. Everyone in town voted against Donald Trump in November, and he was ousted in a landslide. No one was ever racist again anywhere in the state of Connecticut or New England or across the whole U.S. of A. Southern states pulled down the Confederate statues themselves and traded in their bar and stars for a peace sign and a rainbow flag. Now we can all go back to the halcyon days of the Obama years, where the occupant in the White House made it clear that we didn't have to do anything at all to fight for justice, and we could biden our time while the flow of history would take its course. What a beautiful country. This is Joanna Underhill, and I played Mrs. Corcoran, Doris, the All Lives Matter button, and the reporter. As police chief and Winifred Wilson, I am Holly Andrew. And I'm Matt Johnson. I wrote this thing and played the announcer and attorney Mark Dunning. I'm Katie Zadilla, and I played Mary Whitehouse and Henry the Schoolboy. Matt Johnson again, playing Chris Fogel for the credits. Chris played Mr. Potter. The Boss, and many other amazing characters like The Dum Dum. My name is Rusty Banks, and I wrote the music for this. I'm toting client, as well as doing the engineering and editing. Hi, this is Neil Carreter, and I played Dick Spencer and Tim O'Brien. Battleground Productions presents Brass, the audio series, episode 30, Summits and Revelations. The year is 1886, but not one familiar to you. In this world, while many things are similar, a series of fortunate events and technological marvels have created a British empire that was more prosperous, enlightened, and powerful than the one that we know. But thanks to the machinations of a certain crime minister, the Empire has begun to fall to a corrupt and controlling regime. Mere minutes before Gwendolyn Brass had, it seemed, the chance to end the Crime Minister's reign forever. But for reasons not yet known, she chose not to assassinate the evil mastermind. Instead, she has fled the meeting place of his sinister cabal, still disguised as the theatrical criminal boss Kensington Gore. Yet just moments after she reaches the street, a voice hails her. Mr. Gore, just one moment, if you don't mind. <clears throat> Vincent Law, you may remember me. We met last year. Mr. Law. So very good to see you again. And you? Why, I was just thinking of you the other day. Do you recall that conversation we had when last we met? No. Oh, you must. 
I sat right next to you during the Crime Minister's speech. Afterwards, I came up to you and said that I might not have many talents, but that I certainly have a nose for perfumes. <sighs> yes. And that I found it odd that the man who reportedly employs a former acquaintance of mine, Mademoiselle Trasano, would wear the same scent that she wore. Or of roses, you mean? That would be it. The former acquaintance Trasano is now very close to me. You know, I don't think she is. You see, I've been watching you tonight, and I must say, your version of Kensington Gore is just a much more convincing portrayal than Trasano's. What? Oh, yes. Whoever you are, you're a better actress than my former lover. Her portrayal of Gore was practically a study from the melodrama stage, right down to the twirling of the moustache. But you, brava, a masterpiece of many subtleties. I suppose it's even possible that you are a man. Tell you what... Why don't we find out? Oh yes, that's right. The walking stick is also a gun. Now strip. You really are quite mistaken. Strip. Now. Or I shoot. Why, Vincent Law, you saucy devil. What? Oh! Thanks for your intercession, good sir. Don't mention it, my lady. You don't believe what that man is saying? I don't need to. Who could forget such a very pretty face? Even all covered up in theatrical makeup. You're Gwendolyn Brass. Wait! Hold back and listen. Yes, it's me, Crawford. The man you met on the airship and who led the assault on your house. But I'm not here to expose or fight you. I'm here to offer my help. Your greatest enemy is the man who tried to have me killed. That means he's both our enemies. And I know who he is. Meanwhile, within the magisterial stone walls of Queen Victoria's Scottish retreat Balmoral, that most favoured of monarchs is in conversation with one of the men who have recently joined her royal retinue. Explain to me, please, why we are confined to our quarters today. Installation of the new telephones to the castle, Your Highness. A number of workmen are going to be busy throughout the residence, running wires and testing equipment. Then may I ask again, why are we here at all? We were perfectly content at the palace, and the travel has exacerbated the Prince Regent's illness. Your Highness... The threat of anarchist attacks upon your person had risen to an unprecedented level. Here at Balmoral, we are assured of having adequate defences to protect you in any scenario. Now, may I be excused to return to my supervision? The sooner that the technicians have completed their work, the sooner your living quarters will be exclusively yours again. Very well. Dismissed? No, I don't like it one bit. Oh, but, my darling wife, what can be done? Let us assume that this is for our own safety. Albert, get back into bed immediately. You're not well. 
Victoria, you yourself said it's merely a slight case of the grip. You must not always think of me as so fragile. I knew that we had a problem when they cancelled my weekly chat with that Trent fellow. Look for him as they did. He would look ashen after those teas with you. Lord Trent, it seems, is used to people behaving as if they should be awed by his exalted station. I am not. What's more, his character was all too familiar to me. I've had nine children, and I'm no spoiled brat when I see one. If you had been perhaps a, a bit more diplomatic, we might still be in London. Oh, really? Dear wife, why I don't get leaving London, which increasingly feels like a different country, I worry about the people we leave behind, like Edward. I don't think you have to worry about Bertie in the least. If you asked me, he's far too chummy with the new government as it is. Edward is not a bad boy, but he is so easily led. He's got the brains of a carp. And he's just as likely to follow a shiny lure. Victoria, please. I'm sorry, Albert. It's just, dear husband, I worry. They would not have sent us here if they meant us harm. Oh, I do not worry for our lives. Though I cannot believe they put you on a train when bed rest was prescribed. I worry for our nation. We are its sovereign representative. And what has happened to it makes my heart heavy. Mine as well, my dear. When the brasses returned last year, I thought, at last all of the encroaching shadows shall be dispelled. For they were my knights, my champions, the defender of our realm. That is why when... when the bombing occurred... Uh, dear wife... And ever since... It has seemed as if hope has left the land. But you are hope, my queen. You are the hope of your people, and as you live, it continues. But what if hope has left my heart? What shall we all do then? Oh, bother! Go away! Your, your Majesty... When a queen tells you to go away, that is a command. Might I explain? Yes, yes, you're one of the blasted workmen installing the blasted telephones. That's certainly our story. Excuse me? Your Majesty. Oh. Please, no screaming. Madeline, it can't be you, can it? I think it is. It is? Oh, my dear, you're alive. Entirely. And I'm hoping to remain so during this rather harrowing escape plan. This is an escape? If things work out, yes. Is that part of the escape plan? It isn't, no. The door is locked. This room is second story. That door... A closet. That door. The commode. Other doors into and out of this room. No. Unfortunate. Are you both ready for some vigorous physical exercise? We are. Good to know. Though he is not. I am, dear lady. Uh, a small case of the grip, that is all. What do you need us to do? I don't know yet. I just wanted to add your readiness to a very small list of positive factors. As time is not on that list. 
As the royals anxiously seek the face of their would-be savior for a sign of inspiration, in the quite luxurious meeting room of the Hotel Jacques in Paris, Lord Brass begins the official proceedings of a very unlikely summit of unusual members. Ladies, professors, doctors, pirates and other distinguished guests, thank you for your presence here tonight. I also welcome Monsieur Bencolin, from France's own Le Deuxième Bureau, who infiltrated our gathering, but after some discussion, now joins us as participant. We have met, we have supped, we have argued, proposed, and amended. We have shared some thoughts, some laughter, and some secrets, and we have agreed that we face a common threat, the corruption from within of the British Empire. In the space of a few short months, our unknown adversary, through his cat's paw, Lord Trent, has seized control of my great nation, corrupting it into the vilest den of thieves imaginable. What is worse, the contagion now spreads from England outward. A growing infection of crime and evil. Even as we speak, the Southern Confederacy has diplomats in London seeking to expand to new markets their horrific enslavement and trade in human beings. So corruption spreads like fire in parched fields. We cannot wait. We must contain our enemy's toxic poison of criminality, rapacity, and nihilism before it rends first Europe and then the world apart. Yet, in facing our enemy, we must take stock of who we are as well. As a young man, blessed with a free education, I committed myself to serve the queen and country that had provided it. Soon I served a larger destiny, the expanse of an empire. A good and noble service. I believed we were debating, dreaming, engineering a better future, and that the world would thank us for it. For the last three years, I have been out in that world and seen much of what our empire has brought. That is commendable. Law and justice, science and curiosity, roads and medicine, and a mother tongue to promote negotiation over unknowing distrust. Yet, on my journeys to the far reaches of our colonies, protectorates and allied states, from Hong Kong to Delhi, from Victoria Falls to Victoria, British Columbia, the more I saw, the more uneasy I felt. The British Empire doth astride the narrow world like a colossus. But when you are a giant, it is hard to do good. Your grasp is too unyielding. And even with a careful step, you tread too heavily. I have seen evidence of much that makes me ashamed of my nation. There is no delicacy to an empire's rule. Even gestures of good faith can cause catastrophe. But if not this empire, whose? I don't know. But I believe it is not enough to restore the peace that has reigned until this time. We must do better. Be kinder, more tolerant, brave, and just. Our goal should be nothing short of the betterment of mankind and the thoughtful caretaking of our world. 
This may be too large for an empire, we shall see. But these are my ideals, and I hope they can be yours as well. Our first step towards them is defeating the cabal that has taken my beloved London. I shall outline my strategy and the place each of you has in it. My friends, and now my allies, let us go to war not only for ourselves and for our own causes. Let our greater cause be the creation of a finer world. Now, if you'll all come closer, I'll show you the map. Yet even as Lord Brass begins to outline his plans, his ally, Ponder Wright, has reached the first of a projected series of investigations to rescue the Brass's friend and ally, Professor von Hoffman. Yes? Hello. Uh, apologies for the late hour. I'm trying to find out where they've taken Professor von Hoffman. Well, you are successful. <laughs> I'm here. Professor, I had heard that you had been taken. <laughs> Rumours. They're the curse of our times. Please, come in. Professor, I am Ponderite. I knew that you must be. May I say, the work on you is exquisite. Thank you. I agree. I know your brother very well. He sends his regards. Uh, Professor, you need to leave here. W why? Because very soon, at any time, really, the police will be looking for you. Will they look for me here? I did. It is your home, after all. Uh, uh, but please, Mr. Wright, calm down. <laughs> I don't understand what you think is going to happen to me. Professor, I have been instructed to give you a message. All right. Lord Brass is alive, and he needs you to contact him. Alive? Uh, are you absolutely sure? Yes. But this is amazing. How did he survive? Not just him, sir. The entire Brass family. Uh, oh, beyond incredible. Where is he? I do not know, to be honest, but he said that you would be able to contact him through Tesla's method. <laughs> Tesla's method? I believe it is a form of wireless... Wireless communication! <laughs> of course! Tesla's machine tuned to the specific frequency that he had... <laughs> what a fool I have been! Oh, but please, Mr. Wright, come with me. It, it's in my lab. Of course. My laboratory. My goodness. Quite impressive. I had to have that whole wall taken out. <laughs> did he say anything else at time that I should make a broadcast, for example? He did not. Ah, Let me get these sheets off it. You know, of all my scientific studies, there is one that has interested me above all others. Which is that, Professor? History. <laughs> I, I best turn on the machine. It, it takes a while for it to warm up. I've always thought history more of an art than a science, seeing as she has her own muse and all that. A Cleo, yes. <laughs> but to the Greeks, science and art were not as divided as they are now. Urania was the muse of astronomy, for example. But trust me, history is as much a science as an art. Doesn't that 
presuppose history having a practical use in the world. And it does. With history, we can predict the future. I don't quite follow. Well, history reveals, does it not, certain fundamental truths about human beings? Of course. What they love, what they fear, how they form communities and how they make war, how they will act in certain situations, not as individuals always, but almost undeniably in large enough populations. You will grant me this? That makes sense. Oh, come over here. I, I want to show you something. Knowing what motivates people lets us not only understand how the world around us works, but how to predict the most probable outcomes. Is that what this machine does? <laughs> no, 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 that is. No. Stand here, please, and, and hold this sheet. We know, for example, that a community that is fearful is more easily manipulated than one that is not. As the last few months have shown. Mm. And we know that while particular virtues like loyalty, industry and compassion can take us far, they do not propel people forward with the force that self-interest, greed and distrust of one's fellow man can do. If we want to inspire great change in the world, we cannot waste our energy attempting to eradicate sin and vice. Instead, we must harness these forces. Indeed, it may well be that we must cultivate them. Uh, please, stand there another moment. I, I must throw this switch. I'm afraid I don't understand. Ah... Perhaps you have somewhat conventional ideas of what is good and evil, Mr. Wright. I'm... caught. Professor! It's an electromagnet, Mr. Wright. I, I wagered that there was probably enough ferrous metal in your body that it would hold you effectively. It hurts! I would imagine that it would. Sorry about that. Naturally, it is creating tension between your flesh and your metallic parts. It, it all. <laughs> Again, apologies. I simply can't do that. You know, Ponderite of Clacker Street. It's been a bit of fun watching you fumble about for the last six months trying to keep up with me. All of these tiny little tugs on different parts of the web. Please. And now. You stumble right into my home by what seems to be complete accident, with news that my greatest enemies are alive. How very amusing. Ah, Tesla's machine is ready. You don't happen to know what particular frequency Lord Brass is using for his communications, do you? I would suppose not. Or if you did, you might be in too much pain to tell me. Isn't that right? Ah, it seems he is unconscious. Or worse. Well, I shall have to search for it myself. Hello? Hello, this is Professor Eric von Hoffmann calling for Lord Brass. Can you hear me? Please, can you hear me? Lord, the former Chief Science Officer of Britain, the friend and colleague of Lord Brass, is revealed to be the Crime Minister. 
And as he searches for contact, the limp form of Ponderite sags next to a humming electromagnet, which may be causing who knows what damage to both his mechanical and non-mechanical parts. What will be the sequel to this awful scenario? To find out, join us next season for the continuation of the story of the first family of the realm. Dross! Brass is manufactured by Battleground Productions and features Kate Cray as Lady Brass, Charles Leggett as Lord Brass, Catherine Grant Sutty as Gwendolyn Brass, and Jeremy Adams as Cyril Brass, with Larry Albert, Margie Bickman, Lisa Carswell, Yusuf L. Gindy, Nancy Fry, Ronnie Hill, Philip Keeman, John Longenbar, Matt Middleton, Terry Edward Moore, Tad Morgan, and Nikki Vissel. Brass was recorded at Seattle Voice Academy, engineered by Shana Pennington-Bard and Chris Leia, with sound designed by Kirsty Gilmore and music composed by Bruce Monroe. It was written and directed by John Longenbaugh. For more information on Brass, go to battlegroundproductions.org, find us on Facebook and Instagram, and to support us, fund us on Patreon, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And that's this week's show. Please check the show notes for links for both shows this week at sonicsociety.org. Please be sure to contact us on all the various social media zines, including Twitter at Sonic Society and at David Alt, Facebook through the Sonic Society group and audio drama, radio drama lovers, and of course, look for us as a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network at mutualaudionetwork.com. And while you're at it, take a look at all the cool shows we have every day of the week on the Mutual Audio Network feed, the world's largest curated collection of modern audio drama and fiction. Or you can just check us out here again next week on the Sunday Showcase. But until then, I'm David Alt. And I'm Jack Ward. Have a lovely day, everyone. Bye now. The Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Please be sure to conct us. Conct us? <laughs> there are a number of everyday precautions that we can all take that may help to slow down the spread of the coronavirus. The first is to make sure to clean your hands often. Now, washing your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds is the best, but if you don't have that, try to use a hand sanitizer that has at least 60% alcohol. And to the extent possible, avoid touching high-touch surfaces in public places. These are things like elevator buttons, door handles, handrails, or of course handshaking with people. Wash your hands after touching surfaces in public places. 
Avoid touching your face, your nose, and your eyes. And clean and disinfect your home to remove germs, practicing routine cleaning of frequently touched surfaces like tables, doorknobs, light switch handles will make a difference. Avoid crowds, especially in poorly ventilated spaces. All these small things that we can do may help to slow down the spread of the coronavirus. For more information, go to cdc.gov and be well, everyone.